Good morning. Um, I'm excited again to uh, open God's Word together and uh, continue our discussion on what it means uh, to be connected to Jesus. Uh, last night, uh, we, I was trying to, to help us to see, <laughs> hopefully, helpfully, um, that, that one of the ways to describe our being connected to Jesus is to say that we are represented by Him. That all that He's earned becomes ours. If we're going to understand what it means to be united to Him, I was trying to, to reinforce the fact that, that we arrive here represented by someone. And that someone failed us, and His failure lives on through each of us. But thankfully, by God's good grace and wisdom, we have a new representative. So that was last night. And, and so this morning, I want to think about some of the things that this representative, Jesus, has earned for us. I want to actually think about some of these benefits, some of these gifts of being connected to the giver, to the benefactor. All right? So this morning, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 3 to 10. This again is the Apostle Paul, um, but writing to a different church um, than last night. Um, so he's writing to the Ephesians. Chapter 1, verses 3 to 10. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us all, upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Let's pray. Good morning, Father. We're so grateful that you don't need sleep. You don't need a rest. You don't need um, any of the things that our weak bodies do. And so we celebrate the goodness that you stayed awake through the night for our sakes. And we give thanks to you that we can gather now to, to think about the things that you say, the things that you said through this letter. Spirit, would you convince us that they're true? Would you bear witness in our hearts to believe the things that, that you are saying? Would you help us to understand these things with our minds and ultimately to embrace them with our hearts so that, Lord willing, we'd actually begin to behave as if they're true? We ask that you do all these things because of you, Jesus. Amen. I think through this very um, compact section of Ephesians, Paul is trying to scream at us that Jesus is salvation. He is salvation. Like he's not just um, the the person, the God-man who points to salvation. He actually is salvation. Like he's it. 
And we see this over and over. I'm going to rattle off a few phrases that we just read. Paul says that in Christ we are blessed. We have been chosen in Christ. We are blameless before God. We have been adopted through Jesus. We are blessed in the beloved through Christ. In Jesus we have redemption. He, and he makes this huge uh, statement toward the end, intends to unite all things in Christ. Paul is begging for us to see that Christ is salvation. And because we become linked to this new representative, all that is his becomes ours. You see, the logic of the gospel isn't believe in Jesus and you will go to heaven. The logic of the gospel is believe in God and Christ and you will be his. And because you're his, all that he has becomes yours. So this morning, I want to think about three things, three benefits of, of being with and in this Christ. In Jesus, we belong. In Jesus, we are accepted. And in Jesus, we can change. First, in Christ, we belong. In verse 5, Paul says that we have been adopted. We have been adopted through Jesus as sons. And friends, to begin our thought on what it means to be adopted, we must realize what it costs to be adopted so that we never separate the gift of adoption from the one who's actually earned it for us. You see, Jesus himself was the true son of God. And it was only because he, in the wisdom and love and plan of God, became an orphan so that you and I become children. Throughout Jesus' entire earthly ministry, he refers to God with one word, Father. Except one occasion on the cross. On the cross, as he's nailed there, if you remember the story, he's quoting Psalm 22 and he says, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, when Jesus died for the sins of his people, he was not only losing his life, he was losing his father so that you'd have him. This is the gift of belonging to God. We are forever in his family. What does it mean to be adopted? Well, a few things. One, it's to have a new name. I don't know if you've seen uh, sort of the fun little thing that happens at the end of like a sporting match where, where two competing athletes will take their jersey off and they'll hand it over to their opponent and they'll take a picture next to their opponent with their jersey, right? It, which is to say like, I want to be like this person. I admire that person so much. I just want to wear their name and they mine. Well, friends, in Christ, the adoption that we have is that Jesus put on our jersey and we have his name on the back of us now. I think about Thor and the Marvel Universe. What was Thor's name? Thor, son of Odin. If you are in Christ, your name is first name, son of God, daughter of God. You have a new name. You have a new status. You have a new inheritance. All that has been gained and earned through Jesus is now yours. You have new attention, new protection, and new provision. He sees you, he guards you, and he provides for you. And you have new access. I don't know if you've ever, someone's gifted you with like sort of a backstage pass uh, to either some uh, music uh, artist or 
or, or something like this where, where all you do is you flash a badge and, and you're shaking hands with the artist herself or himself and you, and you just sort of make your way to the back. To be adopted by God, to have a belonging this rich is to flash a badge and be able to walk right into the office of God. Any Carolina fans here? We got one. Any Duke fans here? We got three. Okay. We got any state fans here? There we are. Nice. Um, all right, so I'm going to offend you all for just a second. Um, so you may remember when, when, when Coach K is the coach of Duke, was the coach of Duke basketball, and he is playing against Carolina, um, and they're at uh, Coach K's uh, court, and Carolina wins for Carolina fans. Um, and there's at the end of this, uh, this uh, game, which was this season, it was the last game of Coach K's career, and it was supposed to be really good. So he had, like, Jerry Seinfeld was in the audience. All these professional athletes were in the audience. All these celebrities were in the audience uh, in Durham, North Carolina. And, and, and as the game ends, and even though they've lost, they have these chairs set up on the bottom of the court. And, and who is in those chairs? It's not just Coach K's wife. It's his two daughters. And the moment that Coach K walks on the court, I can't believe I'm connecting Coach K to Jesus. Uh, but as soon as he walks uh, onto the court, he, he beckons over to his grandkids. And he circles up with them. Friends, this is the access we have with our, with our Father. That it, it, He could care less who else is in the crowd. You are His. And He is yours. Do you remember that scene in Buddy the Elf? where Buddy jumps into Walter's conference room and Walter is just so embarrassed by his adult son who dresses like an elf, because he is one. And he's like, Dad, I just want to hang out. Remember this? And he's just so mortified and angry. (laughs) Can I just say that that's the opposite of what's true? To be adopted with, with your king? You see, if... A picture of adoption is Buddy runs in and and in the midst of the biggest presentation of his life, he stops the meeting to introduce you to them. This is the access you have when you belong to God. And it's because we are united to the true Son. In Jesus, we belong. In Jesus, we are accepted. Verse 7, we're taught that in Christ, we have redemption through His blood the forgiveness of our trespasses. It was Jesus' perfect life on our behalf that was rejected in order to give to us a measure of acceptance. This word redemption, it's, it's definitely a church word and, and one that um, it, it has a particular connotation. And it, and it, it is trying to convey this idea of, of being bought for like a ransom. And if you've seen any of the millions of hostage movies type movies, you know, where, where, where someone has lost something that belongs to them, a family member, and they have to pay a price, a ransom price. This is what Christ has done with his own life. You see, you remember Gru and Despicable Me, favorite movie, one of my favorite movies of all time. He, um, he really wanted to steal the moon. And he kind of did with his shrink ray. Uh, but, but he had his new children were stolen by Vector. Sorry, I love some Vector. Um, and he, Gru gives up all that he has, the, the, the treasure of his life, so that these people, these children would be his. 
You see, in Christ, we've been accepted because the true Son of God has been rejected on our behalf. You see, Jesus has paid a ransom with his own life, a debt that he didn't know because we had a debt we couldn't pay. And, and I'm convinced that the, the gift of the gospel, that, that we've been accepted in Christ, we're allergic to that, at least I am or was or fight against, is because I really, if I'm being completely honest, I'd prefer that God would help me be accepted with other people. Like, I, I appreciate this, but on my worst days, or when days I'm doubting to believe what is actually true, I, I just, I prefer that, that Jesus and God would actually just help me be accepted by some others. Like, maybe if you're 16 years old, like, you really just want the DMV to accept you so you can have a driver's license, right? Like, you... If, you, if you're into somebody um, who's in your class and you just really want them to accept you, who are you this morning? And, 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 and to what group are you looking for this measure of acceptance? If, if, if you're a good student and, and you're academically gifted, do, do, you, do you just want to earn good grades so that the, the acceptance of your teacher or, or to, to gain admission into that university or college? If you're musically or artistically gifted, is your desire for acceptance really about someone just sort of accepting your craft, accepting your ability in one of these areas? If, if you find yourself pretty or athletic, do you, do you really just want people to accept your body? Like, God, just help people to accept that. What is your brand you see, we are so satisfied for, for m tiny versions of acceptance that we've lost sight of the beauty of the actual acceptance we have in Christ. You see, last night we were talking a little bit about this idea of being forgiven and, and being accepted. This is so much more than, than God sort of canceling the things that sort of separate you from Him. To be accepted in Christ is not simply to say, look, I know you bombed that test, but I'm going to let you retake it on Friday. That would be really gracious of a teacher. But to be accepted in Christ is to say, I know you bombed that test, but you know what? I'm going to give you an A plus because someone else decided to, that they would be happy to be a failure. You see, the gift of, of God's acceptance in Christ is that we've not only been sort of wiped clean of all these different things that, that, that plague our hearts, the places that we actually want acceptance, because we have been shown such a measure of grace because of the life of Christ. You see what this then means, friends, whether you're tempted to find your acceptance in any of these things, they all depend on you. They all depend on you which is to say they're com you're completely vulnerable to them. The message of the gospel and the acceptance we're afforded is that your obedience makes you no more and your failure makes you no less accepted. No more, no less. You can't be loved more. You can't be loved less. And if your acceptance has nothing to do with your performance, then your performance cannot put your acceptance to risk. It can't put it in jeopardy. Friends, this is the gift of being united to Jesus because the true Son was accepted for being victorious on our behalf. We are with Him. 
In Christ, we have belonging. We've been adopted. In Christ, we have been accepted. We've been redeemed, verse 7 says. And finally, in Christ, we can actually change. We can actually change. Verse 4 says that all of these good things, that these spiritual blessings, calls, uh, Paul refers to them as, they are for a goal. Therefore, our growth. And the words that Paul refers to uh, to speak of these are, are, are to become holy and to become blameless. Friends, we can actually grow because the blameless one was defiled with our blame such that as we trust in this one, we can grow in it. Growth, um, personal growth, um, whatever uh, version of that, that that you hear about, it, it's very popular right now, right? To sort of progress as an individual, um, as a student, as a uh, whatever, um, whatever thing you want to think about. This is very popular. This is very sort of normal language. We, we all want to grow and change. But again, Paul is saying you can't, accept, you can't separate the change that, that has been purchased for us from the one, Jesus himself. Our change, according to him, is only in Christ and before God, according to this text. And I think, if, if I'm thinking about my own personal life, we begin to chase uh, sort of personal improvement over gospel uh, humility and growth and holiness because we're afraid that we're going to fail. I remember when I was your age, and obedience to Jesus, as much as I was willing to hear it, I was afraid to actually think about it and respond to it because I just knew I would fail. I knew that if I tried to put on the clothes of Jesus and act like I listened to his voice, I was like, I'm just going to fail. What's the point? Why should I even do this? And, and friends, I, I want to say something a little bit risky here, but, but to try to make a point. If obedience is something you cannot stand to hear or you're too afraid to hear, or if you find following Jesus too difficult or burdensome, would you spend some time thinking about the first two things we talked about? Right? We, we can't work our way into Christ anyway. So if you're here this, uh, this morning and this weekend thinking, man, to, to, to follow Jesus is so hard. Well, I want to gently and pastorally say that the gospel of grace is the only fuel for growth. And if you're finding yourself trapped in fearful rejection of obedience, then stop. Stop. Consider first what has been purchased for you. Because discipleship is the fruit of grace. Grace is the very source. In fact, it's only those who believe who can obey. You remember Beauty and the Beast? Maybe. Um, the beast had to be loved before he became lovable. We are so convinced that God will only change us and grow us if we are already halfway changed. If, 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 if we could just be who we should be, then, then we can present ourselves to God and, and begin to grow. How many of us in this room... I'm not, please don't raise your hands. Um, but w when we think about the disposition 
right? The way that God sort of sits on his throne, the way that God is, is, is in heaven and he is looking at us, what facial expression does he have for you? Have you ever thought about this? For me, it was, he's not ticked off, but he's not happy. Most of my life, I saw something of like a, I don't know which emoji it'd be, like the, maybe like a slight frown, but like not a sad frown, um, or like straight face. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, this is going to sound cheesy. If you could put an emoji on God, would you think about that in your small groups? Seriously, because if you understand the gospel, you'll understand that that even in your most shameful moments, his facial expression doesn't change. It doesn't because you are in Christ. So his discipline in your life is never rejection. It is only to help you grow. I want you to think about a wedding day. Have anyone been to a wedding lately? Have you ever been to a wedding? Who's been to a wedding? Yes, awesome. So weddings are really special, right? They're, they're really fun. Um, they're really beautiful. And one of the things that, that we all know that happens on wedding days is people get really dressed up, especially if it's like more of a sort of traditional uh, wedding um, and it's cool or not hot or something like this. But ordinarily, people get really dressed up and usually no one gets more dressed up than the bride and groom themselves, right? In fact, they might wear the nicest clothes they have either worn or ever will wear, right? Like the, the, the bride is, you know, these gowns are so expensive. The guys kind of get off the hook a little bit because we can rent things. But, but these gowns, they are invaluable to some extent. Still have dories uh, underneath our bed. So when you think about this wedding, I want us to ask this question, like, why have they dressed up? Is it because they, they want their spouse to be to love them? Why have they put these clothes on? Is it, is it so that as she walks down the aisle or as he looks at her coming down the aisle like, and she takes a glance at him, they say, man, I, I hope that they'll love me. No, they wear these clothes because they are loved. They want to express it. They want to show them and everyone in that space whose they are. What would it look like for you to put on, guys, the tux of your Savior? Girls, what would it look like for you to put on the gown of righteousness? For some of us, it'll feel like spandex. It'll be like, man, this is like so tight. It is hitting me in all the wrong places. Some of us, it'll feel super baggy like frumpy, like, man, this is, man, there's, man, this, this feels strange. Friends, on the wedding day, the, the spouse, the, the, the spouses-to-be are not dressing up to impress. They're dressing up to, to display to the person that's waiting for them that they already love, they're already loved. This is the message of the gospel. In Christ, you have been adopted. In Christ, you have been accepted and redeemed And in Christ, you can actually change. Why? Because you're already His. The true Son was blamed for our sin in order that He would be rejected for that sin so that we would forever belong, be accepted, and have 
the opportunity, the promise to change in Him. Amen. Father, would You convince us of these things, that every spiritual blessing that, that has ever been achieved or purchased is all in You, Christ, and You don't separate Yourself from it. You're not on one uh, sort of side of the rail track and we're on the other and you run parallel to our lives and you're throwing out, you know, uh, gifts and, and blessings to us from a distance. No, Father, you, you have so connected us to your son that he is like the umbrella over which we simply are sheltered. Would you convince us this morning and this weekend of these wonderful, powerful truths? Not so that we would become big-headed and, and, and simply learn a little bit more doctrine, but Lord, that we would actually begin to believe, that our hearts would actually take in. Would you sink your gospel hooks into us, convincing us that these things are true? Jesus, we praise you and we ask this in your name. Amen.